This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. That's the famous opening to the show of the same name, Escape. Often worded to suit the events of the moment or season, warning the intrepid radio listener of adventure that is anything but every day. Like its sister show on the radio, Suspense, it's considered one of the top shows ever done on radio. Escape takes you on a ride through a world where danger comes in many forms and you are on the edge of life and death and perhaps are being pushed. When Escape says romantic, we're not talking kissing. Perhaps those kisses might be from teeming piranha. Escape is more Devil's Island than Fantasy Island. The best radio actors appeared on the show week in and week out. Some of the greats associated with the show include William Conrad, who starred in Gunsmoke, John Denner from Have Gun, Will Travel, Jack Webb of Dragnet, Elliot Lewis, Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, and Broadway is My Beat, Georgia Ellis of Gunsmoke, Frank Lovejoy, fine actor heard in Nightbeat. Only a few of the dozen of radio actors who were part of the great high adventure series on radio. Produced directors on the show included William N. Robson and Norman MacDonald, both masters of the craft of radio realism and action-adventure laced with thrills and chills. Escape's writers included Ray Bradbury. Music and sound effects all wove magic into these half-hour episodes, many of which were based on great writers' tales, and some were adapted from high-adventure stories written in the 30s and 40s. Many were written expressly for Escape, but each and every show is a fine radio drama. Tonight's episode's entitled The Derelict. Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Escape, transcribed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are aboard a dead ship, drifting aimlessly in the endless reaches of the Indian Ocean, while the three men who are your companions, unaware of your innermost thoughts, are making their own plans for the division of treasure, which, because you are a woman, can mean life or death for you all. 
Listen now as Escape brings you Larry Roman's unusual story, The Derelict. I'm rich now. Good-looking, too. A lot of guys have said so. 29, and that's on the square. Dark eyes, dark hair, and I've been a dancer all my life, so you can figure out for yourself how I'm built. I'm not telling you this out of conceit or anything. I just want you to know what you'd have if you had me. And you can have me, any one of you. All you gotta do is come out and get me. A couple of weeks ago, I climbed aboard the freighter Capricorn out of Singapore for Suez with a load of porcelain and six passengers. I had a job waiting for me in Cairo, but I took a ship instead of a plane. One for the dough. Two, because I was in no hurry to start working. The honest truth was my feet were giving me fits. Four days out in the Indian Ocean, a monsoon started up and the Capricorn just busted to pieces on the reefs. I don't know how long I floated around hanging onto some wood till they hauled me into a lifeboat. All right now, easy with her. Uh, gently, gently, do not bruise her on the side. Very good. <laughs> Clear off that canvas, Louis, set her down. I, I'm all right. Certainly you are. Uh, here. Throw this jacket round you. I'm okay. No kidding. The jacket. <laughs> Thanks. And clamp your legs under the seat. Everyone all right? Everything all right here, Mr. Mike. Okay. We're just going to have to ride her out. You all right? Sure. You're not sick anymore? All done. Kind of silly, wasn't it? Like a kid. No, not so silly. Uh, may I uh, do something for you, my dear? No, thanks. I'm really okay. Uh, Keatman. Henry Van Keatman's my name. It was my cargo of porcelain on the ship. I'm uh, Mike Bowman. Cora Moore. Hello. Uh, this is Lou Wah, or is it Wah Lu? My name is Lou Wah. Uh, Chinese, part of the crew. Well, some predicaments, huh? Others all drown, I suppose. Or adrift, like us? No drown, I think. We were the lucky ones. Some are, some aren't. Well, spirits up, everybody. Look, we have water for a few days, so that is fine. Sure. Well, people do not get lost at sea these days, not with airplanes and so much ocean travel. All right. We'll set up watches and take turns trying to catch fish. Fish? Uh, who can think of food now? There's always later. You take the first watch, Keatman. Lou and I will... Are you setting yourself up as Captain Mike? 
I hadn't thought of it that way. I want to be captain. I've always wanted to run a ship. Well, I don't care who's captain, but someone's got to watch and someone's got to fish. Very well. We all got jobs to do. Well, Lawu, you fish. Mike will watch. I shall tend to the water, portion out the proper amounts and quarter, my dear. You shall sit there and, and be womanly. The water sits in the middle so everyone can see it. Cora helps out like everyone else. Well, sure, Mike. Just tell me what you want. Settle, Mr. Keatman. Settle, Captain Borman. I got a long look at them. Keatman, big around the middle and chest. White, shiny face, powerful arms. Mike, middle size, not bad looking, with clear blue eyes. Kind of girl ought to have. Lua, small, good at catching fish. So there we were, three men and me in a tub, bobbing around the Indian Ocean, drifting. Then on the afternoon of the second day... Oh, look at Look at You see? You see? Uh, a ship! Coming right for us, Mike. Look at it. I told you, I told you we'd be found. Hello! Hello! Save your breath. It's miles old. Oh, we rode to it. The oars. Walu, the oars. Mike, the oars. Quickly, now. Come on. It was dusk by the time we got aboard. She was a three-masted sailing ship. All her lifeboats were gone and junk was all over her deck. Seaweed and ocean stuff, so you knew she'd been under once. An old barkentine, Mike said. A ghost ship. Her deck cabins were caved in and she stank from rot. We looked her over. Then down in the captain's quarters we saw it. First, a couple of human skeletons in a pile of junk that was once clothes. Then a metal box, near the skeletons, open. And in it were bricks of greenish-yellow stuff. Mike knew right off what it was. Gold. Gold? Impossible, it cannot be. That's gold, all right. I've seen gold before. Well, sure it is. God, God, it is. Feel it. Hold on. Twenty, thirty pounds of brick. Why, that's a fortune. No kidding? How much? I don't know, but a fortune easily a great amount. Easily. Shut the box, Keatman. The, the salvage laws, it's ours. If we bring it in. We will. We've got another problem, Ferris. But I tell you, you do not get lost at sea these days. This is 1953. You do not get lost at sea in 1953. No. Shut the box. It won't swim off. What? Shut it. Who are you to tell me what to oh, do? Oh, stop it, you two. Squabble, squabble like a couple of chorus girls. Oh, uh, sorry. I apologize. All right. Now let's check the galley. We ought to figure out a way to start a fire. Oh, what about the, the skeletons? Now what about them? Well, you should get them overboard. I do not like to share the ship with them. You do what you want. You, you throw them overboard, Mike, if you don't mind. I wouldn't care to touch them. Well, other things come first. Uh, that is right. And, and, and before we do anything, don't you think we should have an understanding? About what? The gold. What's there to understand? There are four of us. We bring it in, it's split four ways. Four ways, yeah. Then I have a right. Now you go to the galley, Mike. I will stay here. I want to count the gold. All right. Come on, Corey. No, I'll stay down here if you don't mind. I'd like to know how much there is, too. Mm-hmm. 
Honest to Pete, I don't know why I said it. I wasn't thinking it. It just came out. Well, it rained that night, and we collected a lot of clean, fresh water. Next day, it was real sunny and warm. We cleaned the ship up a bit. All of a sudden, I got to feeling how funny things were. Adrift at sea on a ghost ship. But we had food, water, sun. At times, it was almost like a pleasure cruise. Good morning. Morning. Sleep well? Not too good. Of course, the place you fixed up for me was real nice, but... Well, I kept thinking about things. Cora Moore from San Diego with a jackpot. You know, you don't seem too happy about it. Yeah? First problems first. We'll get found. Keatman's right. You don't get lost at sea these days. Ship is bound to cross us. Isn't it? Sure. So then we'll all be rich and happy. You still don't feel good about it. I, uh, I remember once when I was a kid. I reached for a pot in a dice game with my winnings. It was fair. I got the back of my hand ripped open with a knife. I never got the winnings. I see. Counting your chickens. That's it. Mm, everybody does that. Look at me. I was going to be a ballet dancer. I was a ballet dancer. In my mind, I mean. Pirouettes and all that. Who knew I was going to end up a fan dancer? <laughs> well, that's not so bad. No? Oh, well. What are you going to do with your share of the gold? I mean, if we bring it in. Go back to Australia? Get a ranch? Sheep. Sounds like work. You won't have to work. You'll have enough. I don't mind. Good morning! Morning. Hi. Fine this morning. Where's Walu? Lou Wa is making breakfast. <laughs> this morning I would like fish for breakfast. Have him make fish. <laughs> I feel good. I slept well. I always knew the rich slept well no matter what they tried to tell you. Yeah. Oh, I see the skeletons are gone, Mike. I tossed them overside last night. Oh, thank you, Mike. Lou Wa found a barrel of nails. We're going to board up some cabin holes after we eat. You'll help? Certainly. I'll see you later, Cora. <laughs> Surly fellow. Well, you look lovely this morning, my dear. A fresh look. The sea air, yeah. You are a beautiful girl. Sure. I'll get better looking to you the longer we're at sea. <laughs> Cora, my dear, I've been doing some calculations in regard to our wealth. If the bars weigh 20 pounds apiece, and since there are 100 of them, we have 20 by 12 by 100 by 35, the value of gold per ounce. In dollars, 840,000. Hmm? Buy a lot of meat and potatoes. Ah, filet mignon, pheasant, pompano, amandine. What's that? Ah, uh, something very delicious. Now... Suppose the bar weighs 25 pounds. One million dollars. A million bucks? If the gold is sold at Macau, where the market is free, say, $50 an ounce, one million five hundred thousand. Oh, it keeps getting bigger. Matter of multiplication. Multiplication is a wonderful thing. It makes everything grow. Uh-huh. Division, however, is not so wonderful. What do you mean? Well, take a large, satisfactory number and divide, say, by four. 
What are you left with? A small, unsatisfactory number. Do you follow me? No. <laughs> Mull it to yourself, my dear. I, I'm sure it will come to you. Sure, I knew what he was getting at, but I wasn't letting on. Sometimes it pays to play dumb. Well, the day went on as usual, our ship drifting and us not seeing anything but the water and sky. And then that night, laying in my bunk, suddenly began to think of something. I don't know why, but there I was all of a sudden thinking about Keatman and those ideas of his on multiplication and division. It just jolted me out of my bed. I ran out on deck. Mike came from one way, Keatman from the other, and we met at the railing. Lua! Lua, where are you? No need to shout more. Look. A few feet from us, the railing was all ripped away. We knew right off. Lua was overboard. We could see the fin of a great shark cut the dark water and disappear. not have leaned against the railing. The wood is rotten. What makes you think he leaned? The ship's tossing then. It, it threw him against the side. Luwa was a sailor. It's a calm sea. He could keep his feet in this ocean. I don't understand you, Mike. How else could they have gone overboard? There are ways. I can't imagine. Look, do we have to stand around talking about it? Oh, of course not, my dear. Accidents do happen. There's no point. Kateman, you watch your step. Oh, what could you mean by that, Mike? Just watch your step, that's all. I don't know what happened to Lua, but you just watch your step. As you say, Captain Borman. Come on, Coy. I'll walk you back to your cabin. Mike walked me back. I had my chance to do some talking, to tell him about the conversation I'd had with Keatman, about multiplication and division. I should have told Mike... I know it. But somehow the words just wouldn't come out. I don't know why. Mike left me. I asked him to when I tried to get some sleep. No luck. I kept thinking about poor Lua and also something else. I don't really know why I thought about it, but the fact is I did. Without me doing anything, I just got richer. Cora! Hmm? Are you asleep? May I come in? Well, I... Just for a few moments, my dear. I want to talk to you. All right. Just a sec. It's real late. Oh, just a little while. The thing is, I do not get to see you enough alone. Oh, Cora... Now, wait a minute. Oh, it's all right. Mike is asleep. He will not hear. Hands off, mister. That's all. Oh, have I made a mistake? I thought you had some feeling for me. Well, it... It's just that... <laughs> you sure rush a girl. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. Why don't you go now, Keatman? Oh, no, Henry. Why don't you go, Henry? I, uh... I feel kind of upset tonight. You know what I mean. Lua and everything. Yeah, yeah, all right, my dear. You're not mad? Oh, no, no. There'll be uh, other times. Oh, yes, of course, other times. Cora, 
Hmm? When we are safe on land and rich, we will go someplace, you and I. Italy, perhaps, or the south of France. Cora, one million and a half divided by three is a large number. That should mean a lot to you. Yeah, I have to admit. I've been thinking about it. One million and a half divided by two should mean even more. Mike at the ship's bow, looking out at the sea. I remember saying to myself, he looked kind of good to me. Funny how a guy can look one way to you at one time, then at another looks so very different. Oh, hello. What do you see? Ah, uh, the usual. Nothing. Oh, it's not so bad. Still got fish and water. It's only the third day. Guys were adrift during the war for weeks. They got saved. Sure. They had it worse than us. Mind if I uh, sit here with you? No, of course not. You seen Keatman? Uh-uh. But low, I guess, counting. Yeah. He sure has gone off on that gold. You know, I've been thinking. About what? Those skeletons we found. You wonder who they are? Who they were? Mm-hmm. A little. You think they were part of the crew or uh, come on later like us? Well, it looks to me like the whole crew abandoned ship. No, I'd say those two came on later. That's after the ship came up from the bottom. And they found the gold, huh? Just like us? Uh-huh. Wondered what happened then. Mm. It sure smells good up here. Hmm. It's about the only place aboard you don't smell the ship's rot. Maybe I should have been a sailor instead of a dancer. A lot of good outdoors. Ranching gets you outside, too. Yeah. Bet Australia's just loaded down with fresh air. What about sheep, huh? Now, what about them? They smell? <laughs> sheep aren't so bad. Maybe I ought to use my share of the gold to buy a ranch next to yours. We could be neighbors and get together to talk about hard times. All this, I mean. Um, Cora. Hmm? Cora, I... I don't know. I can't quite tell whether it's because of the mess we're in or... Well, I, I suppose it might be different on land when we're safe, but... What are you trying to say, Mike? Oh, nothing. You forget it, Cora. Sure. All right. Mike. Hmm? Keatman came into my cabin last night. He did? I thought there was going to be trouble. When I let Corey... No, it's all right. The only thing is... Well, I think you better watch yourself. Uh, what do you mean? Well, it it's what he said to me. He said him and me could split the gold in two. Yeah. I just thought I ought to tell you. Thanks. There's a knife in the galley. I don't want to suggest anything, but... Nobody's going to blame you if you moved first. I don't know why I said it the way I said it. I didn't mean to say it that way. It just sort of came out. Funny how you do things sometimes. 
For no real reason, I mean. Well, the third day went by, and we just kept drifting and drifting. Nothing to look at but ocean and sky. Then toward late afternoon, we saw something. Just a speck in the sky, but then it came closer and closer. A plane. One of those big floor-engine passenger jobs. Hey! Hey, down here! Down here! Hey! Keedman waved his shirt and screamed to beat the band. The plane saw us, dipped its wings, and then took off again. We knew it would send a ship and that we'd soon be saved. That night in the galley, we sat down for what we hoped would be our last meal on the derelict. Fish. Have some delicious fish. Thank you. I don't want any more. Cora? Uh-uh. I don't feel much like eating. <laughs> water, then. Have a big drink of water. No, I don't want any. Watch out. You're spilling it. Oh, who needs it anymore? I told you we'd be found. This is 1953. The ship will come to us tomorrow, I bet. All right. And we'll celebrate tomorrow. You put the water down. We've still got tonight. Tonight? Yeah, tonight. Keatman shut up then and a few minutes later left the galley. Then Mike went out too. That's when I noticed that the galley knife wasn't there anymore. The sea got kind of choppy that night and I was sure restless. Wind started acting up, began to rain. Looked like a storm was building. Then I heard the scream. I ran out along the wet deck and stood outside the hold, looking down into the blackness. I couldn't see, but I knew what it was. Mike and Keatman. And only one was going to come up. Only one. got the knife in him before he knew what happened. Mike. Done. We divide by two, my love, by two as it should be. I got to get into my cabin. I'm getting all wet. Oh, wait. Hey, Cora. Yeah? The ship will come to us today, to us, to you and me. The million and a half is ours. I know, Henry. South of France, or would you rather Italy... Whatever you want, Henry. Anything? Yeah. Oh, Cora. Cora, my love. Oh, oh Cora! Cora! I don't know why I did it. Honest to Pete, I wasn't thinking about it. I just did it all of a sudden. I gave him a shove and he went right over the side. I could see him in water just for a second. His face whiter than ever and his eyes bugging out. And then he was gone. The storm lasted for days. Three, four. I don't remember now. And it tossed the ship I don't know how many which ways. Then the sky cleared up. Sun got all warm again. Been this way a couple of days now. But I haven't seen the rescue ship. Water's gone. Fish too. And I'm alone. But like I say, I'm rich. 
I'm still good looking. Any of you can have me, me and gold. All you gotta do is come out and get me. But please, please come quick. Under the direction of Anthony Ellis, Escape has brought you The Derelict, adapted by Larry Roman from a story by Victor Schwartz and starring Charlotte Lawrence as Cora. Featured in the cast were Joseph Kearns as Keatman, Ben Wright as Mike, and Charlie Long as Lou Waugh. The special music for Escape is composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Next week... standing guard deep in the forests of Africa while around you closing in on you are the dreaded Malmo who if you relax your guard will kill you so listen next week when escape brings you John Daner's terrifying story Lily and the Colonel <laughs> This coming Tuesday night, mystery fans will want to stop, listen, and thrill to Mr. and Mrs. North looking for trouble on CBS Radio. And to John Lund as yours truly, Johnny Dollar, probing the San Antonio matter. The Norths collide with homicide and come close to grief themselves. Johnny Dollar comes close to falling in love, closer still to trouble in San Antonio. Remember, they're both this coming Tuesday night on most of these same CBS radio stations. Mr. and Mrs. North, and yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Don't miss them. This is Roy Rowan speaking. And remember, you're invited to Art Linkletter's house party every weekday on the CBS Radio Network. Stay tuned for Phil Harris and Alice Faye next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Phil Harris and Alice Faye. Harris had previously become known to radio audiences as the band leader turned cast member of the same name on the Jack Benny program, while Faye had been a frequent guest on programs such as Rudy Valley's variety shows. After becoming the breakout stars of the music and comedy variety program, The Fitch Bandwagon, the show was retooled into a full-situation comedy, with Harris and Faye playing fictionalized versions of themselves as a working show business couple raising two daughters in a madcap home. Tonight, we hear about Mr. Scott's party. Good health to all from Rexall. Sunday, time for the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, presented by the makers of Rexall Drug Products and 10,000 independent Rexall family druggists. Good health to all from Rexall.
now your Rexall family druggist brings you the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. Written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, Ann Whitfield, Walter Sharp and his music, yours truly, Bill Foreman, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. <laughs> Mr. Scott of the Rexall Company is having a lawn party at his home this afternoon. Many distinguished persons have been invited, and as we look in, we find Mr. and Mrs. Scott going over their guest list. Grace, let's check the guest list once more and make sure that all the important people have been invited. Very well, dear. This is the list. Mr. and Mrs. Phil Harris, Mr. Frank Remley... No, 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 dear. (laughs) Not the names I crossed out. Just read the ones we invited. Darling, I already invited the Harrises. I think she's a charming woman. So do I. It's that Tennessee bull weevil I object to. (laughs) Must we have him? Well, I think we should. After all, he's the star of your radio program, and you're the one who hired him. I know. (laughs) I know. You signed him for two years, and he still has another year to go. Stop pouring salt on my wound. (laughs) Ever since Harris has been on the air for Rex Hall, I've been a nervous wreck. I've got pains all over. My right arm is muscle-bound. Darling, I don't follow you. What's Bill Harris got to do with your arm being muscle-bound? I'll explain. Because of me, Phil Harris is on the air every Sunday night. So? So every Monday morning, I have to write letters to 10,000 independent druggists apologizing. (laughs) Uh, Grace, please tell me you didn't invite that Frank Remley character. Well, I called him at his office, but I couldn't reach him. His office? (laughs) Yes, dear. Mr. Harris gave me the number, but Mr. Remley was too busy to talk to me. Remley was... Too busy to talk to you? Yes, he was watching a television show. And the bartender wouldn't disturb him. (laughs) Well, thank goodness you couldn't reach him. Without Remley, I can stand Harris for an hour or so. Mm, I'm afraid you'll have to tolerate him a little longer than that. Mrs. Harris is lending us some garden chairs, and he's bringing them over this morning. I told him he might as well stay on for the party. Oh, goody. (laughs) A whole day with old wavy wig. Phil, will you please hurry up? We have to get those chairs over to the Scots this morning. All right, honey. Wait till I finish my milk. I've only got about three fingers left to drink. Phil. Phil, do you suppose the Scots invited us just because they needed chairs? Oh, don't be silly. We were probably the first ones on their guest list. Daddy, can we go to this party? No, I'm sorry, kids, but this is just for grown-ups. You see, they're going to have a lot of important people there. Daddy, are you important? Am I important? <laughs> Alice, you got to have a talk with this child. <laughs> got to be straightened out on a few things. Tell her how important I am. Go on. Tell her all the things that make me important. No, you'd better tell her. You've got them memorized. 
been invited to the Scotch party, sir. I don't know, but you can bet that only the best people in town are going to be there. Oh, you weren't invited, eh, Philip? <laughs> well, looky, 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 here comes Schnucky. <laughs> For your information, I was invited, Willie. I got a resvip. A resvip? Yes, R-S-V-P, resvip. <laughs> Scotty insisted that Alice and me come to the party. He insisted, indeed. He wanted Alice, and he felt that he was forced to ask you. He's probably hoping that you won't show up. William, why are you always so terse with me? <laughs> I've done nothing to warrant your caustic diatribe. Phil, what was that? Just a little something Ronald Coleman laid on me. By the way, Phil, was Frankie invited? No, he wasn't, honey, and I can't understand why. Well, Mr. Scott didn't invite Francis because he doesn't want him, and I hope he has sense enough to stay away. Well, don't worry about Remley. He don't go to parties where he's not wanted. He's a very sensitive guy. And he never... Co Come in! Oh, hello, Frankie. Hiya, Curly. How do you like this new suit I bought for Scott's party? Hi, Alice. Well, if it isn't little old sensitive Frankie. <laughs> hey, Remley, I'm glad you're going. Scott sent you an invitation, huh? No. <laughs> what time are we supposed to be at the party? Francis. Surely you're not serious about going to the party. Why not? Mr. Scott didn't ask you because he doesn't like you. Well, I don't like him either, but I'm not going to be petty about it. <laughs> now, wait a minute, Frankie. You can't go someplace where you're not wanted. Now, look, why don't we do this, Phil? Let Frankie come with us when we take the chairs to Mr. Scott. And when he sees Frankie, he'll probably invite him and everything will be all right. And if Mr. Scott doesn't want him, he can always leave. Sure, we'll never miss the old sourpuss. <laughs> Hey, we ought to have a great time at this party. Sure we will. Hey, do you think they might ask me to sing? If they're smart, they won't. <laughs> now, just a moment, Mr. Remley. I'm tired of having you make fun of my voice. I can sing and I'm going to show oh, you. Oh, Phil, not now. We have to get the chairs over. They can wait. I'm going to prove once and for all that I have a great voice. And I'm going to prove it right now. Go ahead. When you get through singing, call me. I'll be inside listening to the frost warnings. <laughs> Young Johnny Jones, he had a cute little boat. And all the girlies he would take for a float. He had girlies on the shore. Cute little peaches by the score. But Johnny was a Weisenheimer, you know. His steady girl was slow. And every Sunday afternoon, she'd jump in his boat and they would spoon. And then he'd row, row, row. Way up that river he would row, row, row. A hug he'd give her then, he'd kiss her now and then. She would tell him when. They'd fool around and fool around and then they'd kiss again. And then they'd row, row, row. Way up that river they would row. Oh, 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 oh. Then he'd drop both his oars, take a few more encores, and then they'd row, row, row. In Johnny's boat he had a cute little seat. And all the kisses that he stole were so sweet And he knew just how to row He was a rowing Romeo He had an island where the trees were so grand He knew just where to land Then tales of love he'd tell the slow Until it was time for them to go And then he'd row, row, row Right up that river he would row so slow a hug he'd give her then, he'd kiss her now and then She would tell him when he'd fool around and fool around 
run. <laughs> Way up that river he would row, just he and flow. With her head on his chest, he'd take a few measures rest, and then he'd row, 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 just he and Florence. Row, row, row right into heaven. Row, row, he had no Johnson Motors, so Johnny and Flo would row, row, row. How'd you like that, Frankie? Pretty cold in Pomona. <laughs> ah, what do you know? How'd you like it, Alice? They're firing the smudge pots in Redlands. <laughs> oh, come on, Phil. You and Frankie put the chairs in the car and we'll get over to the Scots, huh? Phil, Mr. Scott's car is in the driveway, so you'd better park out front here. Okay, huh? I'll park right here. All right, come on, Frankie. Give me a hand with these chairs. Oh, I don't... hello there. Oh, hiya, Chief. Hello, Mr. Scott. Oh, uh, it's good to see you. I must say you look charming. You know, you get younger and prettier every day. How do you do it? I owe it all to clean living. <laughs> yes. Someday I might make my secret of eternal youth available to the public. Oh, what a magnanimous gesture. <laughs> Mrs. Harris, I'm glad you and your uh, man of tomorrow <laughs> could uh, come over early. As long as I'm here early, I'll go in and see if I can help Mrs. Scott. Oh, huh? thank you. Thank you very much. Harris, can I help you take the chairs out of the car? No, I brought someone along to help me. Yeah, I'm here, Scotty. Oh. <laughs> I guess we all have days when we should have stood in bed. I hear you're having a party today, Scotty. I said I hear you're having a party today. Maybe if I don't answer, you'll go away. I, uh, I didn't get an invitation in the mail. Could it be because it was misaddressed? Or maybe you didn't put a staff on it. I can't imagine why I didn't get it. Could it be because I didn't send you one? <laughs> Uh, you and your wild guesses. <laughs> Mr. Scott, uh, I brought Frankie along because I knew you, you'd want him here. After all, what would a party be like without Francis? I don't know, but we're going to find out. <laughs> Mr. Scott, let's not beat around the bush. If you don't want me, say so. I don't want you. <laughs> Let's go around the bush once more. <laughs> there must be a solution to this problem. There is. You can go home. <laughs> no, that don't appeal to me. <laughs> Remney, I'm warning you. If you insist on staying here, I'm leaving. That's the most sensible suggestion you made yet. <laughs> Remley, if you don't get out of here, I'll call... Now, wait a minute, fellas. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's not fight. Now, can't we settle this thing amicably? <laughs> Scott, I think it would be nice if you, the boss, invited Frankie the employee to your social gathering. It would prove something. What? Well, it would show the world that labor and capital can travel hand in hand to an ultimate utopia. 
Look, I don't because want... our ideologies are different, don't man, we mean we can't live in the same world together? But Let's I... foster brotherly love. The spirit of true Americanism is at stake here. Yeah, uh, remember the Maine. Yeah. And remember the Alamo. Yeah. Let's not forget what they fought for at Aprofrata Pradamax. <laughs> The land of the free, where all men are created equal. From every mountain, let freedom. Will you two stop this? Oh, I can't stand any more of this. Paris, would you mind carrying the chairs down in back of the house? We're holding the garden party around the swimming pool. Okay, Mr. Don't worry, we'll take care of everything. Remley, as long as you insist on staying, you will have to excuse me. I have to go down the street to see somebody. Who? My lawyer. I want to know if I can get an injunction against you. Goodbye. <laughs> Good old Scotty. I knew he'd invite me. Yeah. <laughs> well, come on, Frankie. Let's carry these chairs down to the pool. Okay. I'll... Hey, Curly. The pool's at the bottom of that steep hill. These chairs will have to make a few trips. Why don't we just drive your car now? That's a good idea. We can just... Yeah, but wait a minute. We'd have to move Scott's car out of the driveway. I'll tell you, look, Remley, you drive his car down to the garage, and I'll go get mine. Okay. Hey, Curly, I can't drive Scott's car down. There's no key in it. Remley, you don't need a key. It's on a hill. You can coast it down. Just release the handbrake. Oh. There she goes, Curly. Now what do I do? Oh, no, Remley, you were supposed to get in the car. You just told me to release the handbrake. You didn't tell me to get in. Well, look at the way it's rolling down. Remley, do something. Stop it. Stop it, he said. Hey, car! Remley! Now, come on, we got to try and catch it. Hey, look, it's heading for the fence. That ought to stop it. It didn't. Cheap lumber, I guess. Well, that ought to stop it. It can't possibly go any further. Told you that would stop it. <laughs> right into the water. Don't worry. The new Cadillac. With those fish tails, it should be able to swim. Remley, it ain't swimming. It's sitting on the bottom. I ought to take him with the bird. Temper. Let's not get excited. We got a simple problem. All we got to do is figure how to get a Cadillac out of a swimming pool. That's all we got to figure. That's all. All we got to do is to write General Motors and ask them how to salvage one of their convertible submarines. <laughs> Frankie, we got to get it out of there before somebody discovers it. If we ever get caught with that thing. Oh, Phil! Uh oh, here comes Hank, the night watchman. <laughs> I heard out here, it sounded like... Bill! There's a car in the pool! Carpool? <laughs> Don't be silly, honey. Well, they haven't had carpool since the war ended. Why, it's Mr. Scott Cadillac. How did he get in there? He's a very sloppy parker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you see, he parks his car in the pool every night. And that way, when he leaves in the morning, it's already washed. <laughs> Did you fellas do this? Well, uh, well, we might as well tell her the truth, Remley. Yeah, I guess we'll have... All right, all right. How did it happen? Well, Mr. Scott left his car standing out in the hot sun. 
I see. And it got overheated, so it went in for a dip. <laughs> oh, Alice, do you expect us to believe that? <laughs> Yeah, look, honey, you're going to have to come up with a better excuse than that. Now, just how did you get that car in the pool? Well, I was talking to Mrs. Scotter. Wait a minute, I didn't do anything. <laughs> oh, fellas, I don't know how you got it in there, but you'll have to get it out before Mr. and Mrs. Scott see it. How? Well, use our car and tow it out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Now, look, honey, you can win to keep Mrs. Scott occupied so she doesn't see what we're doing. All huh? right, but make sure you get that car out. Mother wanted me to marry a lawyer. Father wanted me to marry a doctor. But did I listen? Nah. I had to be a wise guy and wind up with a trap drummer. Well, I had my own ratchet. <laughs> Come on, Ratch, let's get your car. Remley, look, I've been thinking about something. What? My car's too light to pull that heavy car out of that pool. Yeah, you might. Wait a minute, look. Scott's got another car in the garage, a big Lincoln. <laughs> Lincoln? Yeah, that ought to be able to pull it out. Yeah, now look, I'll get a heavy chain out of my trunk and you pack the Lincoln up to the pool. Huh? Oh, Remley, wait a minute. Come on. Pack it, I said, up to it, not in it. <laughs> We got the chain around the rear axle of the Lincoln. All we got to do now is put the other end of the chain around the bumper of the Cadillac. That's all. But which one of us is going to dive down and attach it? That's simple. You. <laughs> it ain't that simple. I ain't going. <laughs> Why'd you do it? I can't swim. Then you're the guy to do it. You'll get down to the bottom faster. <laughs> well, look, Remley, somebody's got to go down there. Or that's somebody else. I ain't no fish. I ain't... Two fellas down here. Well, if it ain't Julius, the Barracuda. <laughs> Little carp face himself. <laughs> what are you guys up to? Why do you got that Lincoln on the lawn? Because we got a Cadillac in the pool. Oh, that's different. You got a what in the where? We got a Cadillac in the pool. Oh, I've got to report these guys to the juvenile authorities. They just do these things to derange my immature brain. He's telling you that we got a car in the pool. Now, if you don't believe it, look for yourself. Yeah, bend over the pool and look straight down. Let me see. Hey, you guys ain't kidding. Curly's bending over. So he is. Shall we, Conga? Let's. One, two, three, kick! Look at that, he went right straight down. Yeah. <laughs> Look at him, Donald. Hey, Remley. Huh? Quick, while he's still on the bottom, throw him the chain. Yeah. Oh, look, he's surfacing. Yeah. Man the harpoon. Right. What are you, a couple of wise guys or something? Julius, as long as you're swimming, do us a favor. Dive down to the bottom and attach the chain to that bumper. Go bang your head together. I'm getting out of this pool. Not until you attach this chain. Don't tell me what to do. I'm climbing out of here. Quit stomping on my little fingers. Will you put the chain on? All right, all right, you monsters. Probably safer down there anyway. Here I go. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
long do you think it'll take him? Oh, he'll be down there about ten minutes. Can a person stay underwater that long? Sure. And stay alive? Oh, I don't know about that. Hey, look, he's coming up already. Oh. Well, I got an attack. Thanks, kid. You can come on out now. I'll get even with this. One of these days, if I stay away from you guys, I'm going to grow up. And when I do... Oh, stop peeping, will you? Take the water out of your head. Look, Julius, Frankie and me are going to get to Lincoln and start pulling that Cadillac up. Now, you stay here and let us know how it's coming out. Okay. Fellas, the best way to do this is leave a little slack in the chain and then start with a sudden jerk. Wait a minute. <laughs> Listen, kid, don't tell me how to do this. I'm a grown man, and I know more about it than you do. Now, come on, Frankie, get in. Yeah. How are you going to do this, Curly? I got it all figured out. Best thing to do is to leave a little slack in the chain and then start with a sudden jerk. <laughs> Let her go. Hang on, here we go. Right. Hey, Remley, we must be getting it out. We're moving. Yeah. She's awful heavy, though. It's dragging. Hey, Curly, isn't the lawn level here? Yeah. Why is the car pointing uphill? Hey, fellas! Why? You better come back here and get your rear wheels! Rear wheels? Oh, Frankie, what did you do? Let's get out and look. Oh, Remley, look, we ripped out the whole rear end out of this car. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> Let's keep it floral. We did it. Now, what are we going to tell Mr. Scott? Don't tell him anything. Maybe he won't notice it. <laughs> he won't notice it. How can he help it? Look at the way it's squatting. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Mr. Scott's got the only link, and it starts from a crouching position. <laughs> Will you kid, get going. We're in enough trouble. Uh-oh, Remley. Here comes Scotty. He's going to murder us when he... Remley, leaves. I just saw my lawyer, and he said I can't do a thing. So I fired him. But I've got half a mind. You got half a Lincoln, so. <laughs> what are you talking? Oh no! What happened to my car? Is something wrong with it? <laughs> something wrong? Half of it's here and half of it's down there. Look at it. <laughs> yeah, it looks a little bit like a dachshund. <laughs> oh. My beautiful six thousand dollar special Lincoln cut in half. What can I do with it? Do what the Santa Fe does with the chief. Run it in two sections. <laughs> oh, you two. I'll take care of you later. Right now, I'd better tow this out of the driveway before my guests come. I'll get my Cadillac. I... My Cadillac. It was over in the group. Where's my Cadillac? Oh, that's in the pool. <laughs> oh, in the pool. In the pool! in the pool. My Lincoln torn in half. Both my cars ruined. What am I going to do? Sell your house and move near a bus stop. <laughs> You're responsible for this. I'm in no condition to have a party. But at least I'll have the pleasure of taking care of you two. Come here. <laughs> He's not having a party. We might as well go, Colonel. Yeah, ain't no sense in hanging around. So long, Scotty. Come back here. Come. No. You didn't want me before, so I'm not going to stay now. And if Frankie can't stay, I'm not going to stay either. All I want to do is get my hands off you. 
Curly's gaining on us. If I catch you, I'll tear you limb from limb. I'll rip you apart. I'll sprinkle you with my bare hands. Full speed ahead, Revelyn. Come back, you coward! Frankie really messed up Mr. Scott's party yesterday. I wonder what he's going to do with his two cars. He's trying to sell them. He's got an ad here in the paper. Look, it says, for sale cheap, a disjointed Lincoln and a waterlogged Cadillac. <laughs> hey, do you think he's mad at me and Frankie? I think so, dear. Look what it says underneath. For sale, even cheaper, one left-handed guitar player and a curly-headed band leader. <laughs> he can't sell Remley. He belongs to me. This program was produced and directed by Paul Phillips. Included in today's cast were Lois Corbett and Gail Gordon. The part of Frankie Remley was played by Elliot Lewis, and Julius was played by Walter Tetley. Alice Fay appeared through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. This is Bill Foreman wishing good health to all from Rexall. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Dark Fantasy, followed by My Favorite Husband. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.